Welcome to The Gradebook, a Tampa Bay Times podcast on Florida education issues. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek, back after a couple of weeks off for a little bit of rest and relaxation, just in time for the release of Florida's school grades. Those things that some people love because they show exactly, they say, what the schools are doing and how they're performing academically, and some people hate saying that they have no bearing on what the school is actually doing inside its classrooms. Joining us today to talk about school grades is Mike Petrilli, president of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, an early supporter of school grades that has moderated its position over time as to their use and their value as we've seen how they've actually been applied in Florida and around the nation. So Mike Petrilli, welcome to the Gradebook Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. You have been a long time advocate of school grades, and Florida has been one of the first states to do it. So I kind of want to know why you initially supported school grades and how you see Florida's role in perpetuating that across the nation. Sure. Well, you know, way back when, I guess you have to go back about 20 years now, when this idea was percolating, you know, it was based on some some common sense as well as from uh, some things that had worked in other fields, both in the public sector and in the private sector. It was basically to say, you know, organizations are going to do better if they are held accountable. And rather than try to micromanage schools from afar, which is what we've basically been doing for decades and decades, uh, we should be very clear about what we want them to produce, and that is uh, kids who go on to be ready for what's next and have the knowledge and skills to succeed, and then hold them accountable for that and give them a lot more freedom about how to get there. That was a basic idea 20 years ago. And so that meant standards, testing, and some kind of accountability system. And I think what we have learned over that time is that that idea is, is, a, is a good idea. It works that you've got some good research studies that show that A to F grades uh, do raise achievement uh, and that it can work to get educators' attention and, and parents' attention uh, focused on results. But what we found back when Tony Bennett was our education commissioner here in Florida was that there was so much pressure on schools to get these grades that sometimes there was a question of whether they were doing weird things or or whether we should continue to look at the high stakes attached to the, the school grades. This year in Florida, we just had our 19th round of school grades released this week, and we had one group of school board members that's a statewide organization that accused three school districts of gaming the system in the way that they tested or didn't test students in civics, saying that they were trying to avoid getting a bad school grade. Are we on the wrong path with this? Well, look, these are all important questions. And yeah, we've learned a lot over the last 20 years. Uh, So a couple of things. First of all, yes, if you attach real stakes to these grades, uh, there is always that potential that you're going to see some schools try to cheat. Now, I would argue that, at least in most places, the stakes haven't actually been that high. I mean, we talk about high-stakes tests, uh, but you know, most of the time, these are basically just used uh, as a form of transparency. You know, that the schools get the A to F grade. Uh, they may not like to get a low grade, and, uh, you know, and, and that the good news is that educators work hard to avoid getting those, those low grades. 
but you know, in most places, and maybe Florida is a bit of an anomaly here, and you can you can correct me, but in most places, you know, even if you get a low grade, it doesn't uh, mean that you're going to lose funding, and it usually doesn't mean that the school is actually going to close. Uh, it just means that you get kind of a black eye in the media and uh, and you know some some public shaming. Uh, so I would push back on the high stakes a little bit. Uh, but look, the gaming is a real problem. And I think we've learned over the years what you've got to do to make sure that the system has credibility uh, and that you are encouraging schools to do what you actually want them to do, which is to improve teaching and learning in the classroom. We learned a long time ago, for example, that if you have low-level tests that are, that are both sort of easy fill-in-the-blank tests and set at a low level for passing rates – that it encourages schools to do low-level instruction because it actually worked. You know, if you did that kind of instruction and did a lot of test prep, you could get the scores up. Well, that is part of the reason why over time we learned that we needed to raise standards and raise the quality of the tests themselves. You know, nobody says that it's easy to game an advanced placement test. You actually have to learn the material. And that is more and more the case with these state assessments too. They're just higher quality uh, and it's harder to game them. The kids have to actually... Uh, learn the material. Now you got to make sure you know all the students are being tested and that that uh, schools aren't playing games around that. Uh, it's also important, Jeff, to make sure that we're focused on how we measure schools. You know, in the bad old days, we looked at the percentage of kids who passed the test. It turned out that put pressure in schools to pay attention to those kids that were right near those uh, test uh, score cutoffs. Well, now in Florida and elsewhere, much more of the focus is on progress over time from one year to the next, and that encourages schools to pay attention to everybody and help them make progress, which is what they should be doing. Well, when you mention progress over time, a lot of people will tell us that time is more than one year, you know, more than two years. And yet the state has given schools very short period of time to turn things around. They now, if they receive two low grades, D or F consecutively, they face takeover from an outside entity. The school districts effectively lose control, which is a huge uh high stake attached to it. And and in addition to that, they also have the whole issue of this schools of hope is what they're calling them. They're charter schools that can come in and take over even if it's right next door to an existing public school because that school has done low. And that that's part of the reason why some people are looking at the accusation that these schools are gaming the system and saying like, oh, these lawmakers are just trying to boost the schools of hope program and not really boost these schools. So in a way... You know, there are high stakes attached. And, and I wonder, is that enough time or is the state giving enough time to schools to actually show improvement as opposed to just forcing them into a new model? Right. Now, it's a, these are all fair questions, Jeff. And, I, and I'll be honest, I don't know enough about the local situation in Florida to, to know for sure. I will say in most places, when you go look and you look at the schools that are on the, the lists for low performing schools that get the D's and the F's, a lot of those schools have been on that list for a long, long time. You know, and you've got schools that have just struggled and been dysfunctional uh, for many years, if not generations. And so, you know, I, I think uh, you're right. We need to be fair. We need to make sure there is time for turnaround. On the other hand, you know, we also need to have some sense of urgency. I mean, these kids only have one shot. 
Uh, I like this schools of hope idea. I think what we, one thing that we have found in the accountability movement, it is, a, it is very hard for states to turn around low-performing schools and to have the political will to actually close low-performing schools. It just is a tough thing to do. What has worked much better is to have kids move to higher-performing schools, including higher-performing charter schools. That is good for those kids. That raises their achievement. Uh, and over time, it puts the bad schools out of business, uh, which is okay, if, again, if, if they have been low-performing for a long time. So I think there's, there's a lot about the strategy that makes sense. We just have to get all the details right. you got to make sure that the, the standards are high, that the tests are high quality, the accountability system is working right, which means progress over time. Uh, you know, you got to make sure the, the charter schools are high quality. I mean, none of this stuff is easy uh, or self-implementing. But, but, Jeff, go back to the way it used to be, you know, is, is 20, 30 years ago is what? We just uh, gave public schools money. You know, we made them follow a bunch of regulations, and that was it. And it wasn't working. You know, Florida has made tremendous progress in the past couple of decades. And the latest National Assessment of Educational Progress showed another big bump uh, recently. And, uh, you know, so something is working there and I think has a lot to do with these accountability systems. A lot of parents who have become very cynical of the program say it's the teachers who are working and yet they're being bashed by the lawmakers constantly through whether it's an attack on unions or the inability to put money into uh, salaries or just putting additional funds in, or trying to arm them so that they can, in addition to everything else they do, uh, be guards of the schools, which they eventually did away with that idea and just had school employees. But still, uh, they, they are very doubtful of the tests. They are pushing opt-out to some degree, and they feel that, you know, the accountability movement is just a way to funnel money into charter schools and to other voucher programs, and they don't like it. And do they have any validity in what they're saying at all? I mean, are, is their criticism in any way acceptable or accepted? <laughs> sure. I mean, look, the, I mean, cr criticize away. I mean, I think that those criticisms have been important over the years. It's helped us improve these systems because there were problems with them and they're not perfect today uh, and they need to be uh, improved. Look, uh, you know, when you when you drill into what parents believe about some of this stuff, there tends to be pretty big differences by race and by class. Uh, you know, more affluent parents who are happy with their public schools, who probably bought a home in a neighborhood because of the schools. And I'll admit this is what my wife and I did when we moved to Montgomery County, Maryland, was for the schools and the pools, I'll say, this time of year in the summer. Uh, you know, and, and so you've got parents who, you know, look, are they're satisfied. But, uh, but the parents who know that their kids are not getting the education that they need, which tend to be lower income parents and parents of color, uh, tend to be more supportive of these policies, you know, and, and that makes some sense. They want the system to be, uh, to show, you know, to be shook up and to have some pressure on it. So, look, we, we got to get the balance right. I mean, there's no doubt testing is not popular uh, today. You know, I, I may be one of three people left in the country that really likes standardized testing. You know, this is, this is not – at any time you do a survey, you talk to parents in a focus group, of course, parents do not like tests. Now, part of that is because we're blaming everything on the test. Anything we don't like about schools, we say, well, it must be because of the test. That's not always fair. Uh, but look, accountability is, is not a warm and fuzzy thing. It, it is trying to figure out a mechanism – in these big, huge public bureaucracies of how to keep them focused on student learning. Uh, and so in the day-to-day -day decisions that they make about who gets to teach and how to hold them accountable and what curriculum to use and which contractors to hire and all the rest, that, uh, that kids 
and their results are at least a factor. And you take away the accountability or you take away the options for charter schools. And my concern is, you know, these big public bureaucracies go back to just kind of going through the motions and, and doing their thing. Uh, to protect themselves, and and we know what that looks like. That what that means is you got a lot of kids not succeeding. Don't forget, Jeff. Like we still have a situation where, you know, maybe a third of our kids are graduating from high school ready for what comes next. Either uh, you know some kind of post secondary, even vocational training in post secondary. A third. Uh, so we are a long way from building an education system that's actually working. And you know, I can only imagine if we if we let up on the pressure now, uh, we're not going to move those numbers. Florida used to be the place that people would look to when trying to create these kinds of accountability measures and these these efforts to change the system. Is Florida still a leader nationally? Do people still look at Florida in any way? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think people do still look at Florida. Now, it certainly helped that in the latest uh, NAEP results, National Assessment of Educational Progress, you had a, another tick up. Uh, it had been a little while since that. It also helps that uh, Secretary Betsy DeVos in Washington seems to be staffing her uh, Department of Education largely with people who have formerly worked in Florida. Uh, you know, and clearly, uh, Governor Bush uh, continues to have a big influence there and, and, uh, and his work to try to evangelize the Florida model and bring it around the country. All that's still making a big difference. There are some other states that people are looking to. Uh, in recent years, Tennessee has gotten a lot of attention uh, you know, for good reason. They were making big progress. Uh, I think that uh, you know people have been interested in Louisiana around curriculum reform. I, I would keep an eye on Mississippi, which has followed many of Florida's reforms and, of course, was coming from a very, very low place but has made dramatic gains in recent years. Indiana was showing strong progress under Mitch Daniels. So there's other players. Uh, it's not just Florida. But, but people still look to Florida, and they understand that this is a place that has made incredible progress. And, if look, if, if you're – a uh, Hispanic student in America, uh, you are very fortunate to be going to schools in Florida compared to most other places in the country. That's the case for other for, for low-income kids as well. So, yeah, I think Florida still is seen as a model and as a place where there's a lot of expertise on how to do this right. So what does it say to us then that, you know, if Florida is being looked at by some people as a model for reforms and some people are looking at it as a place that is just trying to funnel money into private school systems and 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 debase the public education model. I mean, what is it? Well, I think <laughs> I think it means that education reform is messy, right? I mean, look, this is a, obviously this is a big, tough issue and you're going to have perspectives that are, uh, you know, from all over the map. I mean, and look, there's parts of the Florida model that I like better than others. I mean, when you look at private school choice in Florida, I think the program has done quite well uh, thanks to the work of the, the group that is very involved overseeing it, Step Up for Students. But, you know, I wish there was more transparency in terms of the results for those private schools, uh, that they were taking the same state test and that you could hold those schools accountable as well. Uh, that is the way it works in Louisiana, for example, in the private school voucher program. And I wish the tax credit program in, in Florida looked like that also. You know, Florida's charter school sector is not known as being one of the highest performing sectors, uh, unlike some other places. So there's still work to be done there. Uh, so, you know, and, and no doubt that when, uh, especially when Governor Bush came in and was working on the reforms way back when, you know, Florida was achieving at a very low level. So it's still got room to grow. You know, there's still, uh, you know, it's certainly not uh, in terms of raw achievement, the highest performing state in the country, but it has made tremendous progress. But look, there's always going to be big debates about this. Uh, nobody enjoys being held accountable. 
Uh, and I think for the teachers and the teachers' unions, you know, this is a big change. I mean, they were used to having a lot of power for many years and having real monopoly uh, that, you know, they were the one provider. Uh, and, and now they have to compete. And, you know, that's that's not going to be something that they necessarily want to do or enjoy doing. But I think what the evidence is showing us is that that competition is lifting all boats, which is exactly what we want to see. Well, I really appreciate you talking with me. Um, I always enjoy hearing what you have to say from the national perspective. And and you know a lot about Florida, too, which really helps. So thank you. My pleasure. My pleasure. I hope folks will check us out at the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. We're at edexcellence.net. And uh, we follow all these big reform debates and put out some great research studies as well. So check us out. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Take care. All right. Thank you, Jeff. That's the end of our interview and the end of our podcast. Thanks again to Mike Petrilli from the Fordham Institute for taking the time. If you want to follow this conversation or comment on it, please visit our Facebook page, Tampa Bay Times Gradebook. To keep up with all of the latest Florida education breaking news, visit our blog, tampabay.com slash blogs slash gradebook. And please subscribe to and review this podcast so that way more people can find it as well. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek. Thanks again for listening.